and welcome to I Wanna Watch the Very Best because gotta watch them all was taken. I am your host, Ryan Geyser, and today I'm joined by a boy. Alex, why don't you say hi? Hi. Hi, this is my buddy, Alex, who I will probably accidentally call Alan at some point. Just be ready for that. And uh, Alex, are you excited for the movie? Uh, I mean, this is the one movie I still actually have a copy of, which is kind of crazy. It's also a VHS copy, which is even crazier. Yeah, and why don't you real quick share the fun story about trying to transfer it over. So, uh, trying to record this... I tried to record the VHS copy of this movie so I could actually watch it, since I figured hey, there might be some fun things in the VHS version that got taken out with the re-releases. And I recorded this movie twice, and both times it cut off right at the very last joke of Team Rocket. Which is a shame, because it's a good joke. It's an amazing joke. I got to hear (laughs) most of it. To which, funny enough, I guess that joke is from the Treehouse of Horror. I think so, yeah. It's in the the crusty episode that we watched. I think yeah. it's the third one. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that at the ending. But uh, it's it's a great joke, and I'm glad you got to hear it multiple times, because I'm sure it never got old. So anyway, this is Pokemon the movie 2000: The Power of One. Synopsis: After a crazed collector disrupts the balance between the three legendary bird Pokemon, Ash learns that he's the only one capable of stopping the world's destruction. And also chronologically, um, this movie takes place sometime between Ash taming Charizard and releasing Lapras, because Charizard listens to him, but Lapras is gone. I miss Lapras. Do you miss Lapras? Uh, I honestly don't remember much about the Orange Islands besides... Lapras being just existing. Yeah, Lapras is just their boat. I appreciate how Lapras is in the first episode, and then they just kind of don't really use Lapras as much. (laughs) He uses them in the final fight, I think. I don't think I got that far. (laughs) And also, this is probably my favorite Pokemon movie, easily. It's definitely up there. I think I still like a lot of the Gen 3 movies more. Mm -hmm. Gen 3 does some fun stuff. Specifically, it would have to be, uh, what was it called? <laughs> Deoxys uh, or no, Jirachi? Oh, Jirachi Wishmaker was one of my absolute favorite ones, just because <laughs> it had very goopy Groudon. It also just kind of had Flygon as one of the, the bonus Pokemon that just kind of yeah, showed so up to They help. definitely thought Flygon would be more of a mascot for that gen than he was. It was definitely a mascot for me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Pokemon 2000. We begin with a shot of the ocean, the camera pulling back to reveal a Slowking standing among some pillars, soft ocarina playing. A man recites a prophecy, setting up the movie's plot. Disturb not the harmony of fire, ice, or lightning, lest these titans wreak destruction upon the world in which they clash. Though the water's great guardian shall arise to quell the fighting, alone its song will fail, thus the earth shall turn to ash. O chosen one, into thine hands bring together all three. 
their treasures combined, tame the beast of the sea. The man, Lawrence III, then receives a computer update regarding the text, figuring out that the titans it refers to are Moltres, Zapdos, and Articuno. The computer also says that they're unique species only found in the archipelago, but I think Journeys kind of retcons this. I, I believe Go goes out hunting trying to find the birds, and they're just not in the Orange Islands anymore, and there are maybe multiple of them. Journeys does that a lot. See, that's the weird thing with Pokemon later on. Very early on, legendaries are very important, but they kind of lose their status as they keep going. <laughs> Oddly enough, except Lugia. Lugia Gen 2, there's like five of them or something at least. Yeah. There are multiple Lugias. <laughs> Lawrence makes known his intent. While any of the birds alone would be a prize worth having, his end goal is what's summoned when all three are obtained. Learning where the Pokemon are, he begins his plans to gather them, chair rising higher into his super fancy air fortress, aiming for Moltres first. I also love the CGI in this movie because it's so out of place with the traditional 2D animation. <laughs> it's just like randomly there's this 3D airship just on this beautiful painted background. I don't remember how much they used CG in the first one, but I feel like starting with this one, they started kind of using it even more. Yeah, the first one had some tacked on. Like, there's some cut scenes where it's 2D, and then they replace it with 3D later, even though 2D looked fine. But, yeah, this one, they are very blatant in using it, and it did not age well. I will say, though, his Flying Fortress is... You would think it would be more whimsical and fancy, but it's actually <laughs> a very simple shape. It's all, it almost looks like something out of Professor Layton. It really does. Yeah. Especially with the weird Sistine Chapel painting on the roof that he has. Which canonically means angels are in Pokemon. We already know that uh, God exists, or at least religion exists in mm -hmm. Pokemon, given the ghastly episode. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thanks, thanks, Jesus, for sacrificing yourself on the Pokemon cross. What do you think his Pokemon would have been? I mean, <laughs> would it be Palkia or would it be Dialga? <laughs> Jesus Christ with Palkia or Dialga? I mean, we know Arceus is the god Pokemon. Mm -hmm. Giratina is technically the devil Pokemon. What does that make Jesus? Maybe Jesus has a Mew. That is true. The fortress fires some cannon blasts at the island, covering it in ice. An enraged Moltres burns through it, leaving its nest and attacking the base. Lawrence continues firing blast to disrupt its flight, before sending out weird little ring devices that surround Moltres in an electric field, bringing the bird on board. Lawrence then speaks aloud his plan to capture Zapdos next, then Articuno, eagerly awaiting his endgame prize, the beast of the sea, Lugia. After a title sequence, we transition to a personal boat on the sea, our heroes riding on it. It's captained by Marin, a movie-only character that the three hitched a ride with, and is headed towards another island destination. Ash comments how nice of a day it is, Tracy suggesting that they let their Pokemon enjoy it too. Marin tells the group that it's another hour till the next island, so it should be fine to let him out. And now, this is where we get the second of the two ways the movie opened. Just everyone letting their teams out to just goof around while a remixed version of the season theme plays. It's a very similar to the first opening, just without the battle. And they kind of... I don't think there's a single movie where they don't follow this formula. 
of where it's like, hey, everyone, come on out. I will say it's one of my favorite tropes <laughs> simply because it allows the Pokemon to actually do things when most of them don't really show up later in the movie itself. Or even in the series. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm not opposed to it, but it it gives people who may not be up to speed on the series a, like, a way to see what Pokemon are in the series at that point, too. But it is just an amusing trope. Like, people can predict how a movie starts at this point. And also, um, Ash almost sinks the boat by sending out Charizard and Snorlax because he thought that was a good idea for some reason. Just as the boat approaches a city island, a storm suddenly appears, creating waves that shake the vessel around. Team Rocket, following in their sub, are also tossed about, a large swarm of Magikarp rushing by and carrying them off. At the bottom of the sea, a large creature sings to itself, while back above, Marin informs the group that they're wildly off course due to the waves, instead en route to Shamudi Island, Pikachu seeming oddly on edge. Meowth also breaks the fourth wall by saying he's seen this situation before. An island! In a storm! I've seen this movie! Just funny, because, you know, that means that Team Rocket didn't have their memories erased of the first movie. I mean, they were kind of away from everything while <laughs> the whole movie was happening. They were just kind of in a different room. Yeah, Team Rocket it. really didn't contribute the first movie. That changes here a bit, but they really didn't do anything the first movie except get them to the island as Vikings. I feel like for the first movie, they kind of didn't have a thing for Team Rocket to do. (laughs) So they accidentally just, well, we need to include them somehow. We'll just have them be the exposition guys. I just kind of watched the clone machine happen and get the team to the island. It's not until like Gen 5 where Team Rocket goes an episode not appearing. It takes that long for them to just be absent one episode. It's, It's wild. They really love Team Rocket. While the Magikarp sub crashes into some rocks, Ash's crew prepares to dock at the island. Meanwhile, in Pallet Town, Delia, whose name I've been saying wrong this entire time, takes care of her garden with Mr. Mime, Ash's dad. Professor Oak rides up on his bike, stopping to say hello, and also revealing the name of Ash's mom for the first time, which is why I now know I've been saying it wrong. Just as the two are making small talk about how nice it's been, storm clouds quickly roll in, heavy rain following, and then quickly passing. Oak is pretty soaked, but Mr. Mime pulled out an umbrella for his wife. Before they have time to register what just happened, it begins to snow as well, despite it being summertime. Further worrying them, an aurora borealis appears in the sky, a flock of Pidgey rushing towards its origin. And just as soon as the storm came, it leaves! Still in shock, Oak barely has time to react as a massive swarm of Diglett rush in his direction, hopping off and losing his bike to them. Mr. Mime also seems pretty distressed, Oak explaining that Pokemon are more attuned to nature than humans and are able to better tell when something is wrong. Which basically means that the snow and the aurora didn't set off any of his alarm bells, but the Pokemon being weird did. He just saw that and he's like, oh, that's weird. I'm sure nature's fine, though. Back in the Orange Archipelago, Ash and his friends climb off a beached boat before Tracy fearfully points out a group of people in tiki-like bird masks staring at them. They jump from higher ground and approach the group silently. Until one of them happily asks Marin how she's been, removing her mask to fully say hello. The boater greets the woman, Carol, and explains that the storm just kind of blew them in. 
Carol and Marin eagerly tell the trio that they're actually just in time for the annual Legend Festival. So, I do find it interesting that we just kind of get random tribal masks and things, but it wasn't until this recent watch I kind of noticed. I think what they were trying to do was imitate the the birds, or the legendary birds, with the masks. Specifically, the leader of the tribe is very clearly wearing an Articuno mask. You see a little kid running around with what looks like a Zapdos mask. Though Moltres is a bit more guessing, given that in that initial shot, you do see someone wearing something that could resemble Moltres' mask, but not really. Maybe it's foreshadowing a Pokemon we've never seen yet. I Actually, now that you mention it, it might be more foreshadowing the Galarian version of the legendary trio, given <laughs> oh, no. Moltres' crazy black and purple Yeah, design. do they also live on Orange Island? I guess not. <laughs> they, they really kind of uh, made it so legendaries don't matter anymore. Marin asks if Carol is going to be the festival maiden again, but is informed that she's too old, and the job is going to her younger sister, Melody. The young girl, not in costume like the rest of the group, voices her contempt for the ritual from a distance. She's also wearing sunglasses during a storm, so you know she's a fashionista drama queen. Melody sarcastically assures her sister that she'll do the lame ritual, and Carol apologizes for her behavior. Marin then introduces Ash's group, the entire crowd going into a celebratory frenzy upon hearing that the boy is a Pokemon trainer. Because no one else on the island is, I guess. I do find it kind of funny how this seems to happen a lot in the anime, where Pokemon trainers are a very rare thing. I guess it's more just only a few kids decide to be Pokemon trainers, while most of them decide to just continue with schooling and do well, whatever else they want to do in the world. <laughs> Just have a pet, too. I also think early Pokemon, their plan from like some earlier other materials, like uh, the manga and stuff, Pokemon training is a very hard career to make it in. Like Most people pursue it and then go home as failures, more or less. But uh, it, it, So that's why a lot of people probably don't do it, because it's a career path that's very, very hard. It's like professional boxer sort of thing. That is true. You would think that Ash would have gone home much earlier, but then again, I guess he has had his own personal chef as well as travel buddies that provide oh, yeah. for the actual extreme extremities of traveling across the whole world. Yeah, and also Pokemon trainers in this world, I feel, are also kind of just as rare as the episode wants them to be. Like, in another Orange Island episode, the Ash is running across the island having battle after battle, and then, like, in others, it's like, no one here owns a Pokemon. An elder approaches the boy, declaring that his arrival was destined, and that only he can vanquish the frenzy of the three titans, the man then calling Ash the Chosen One. Seeing Ash's concern over being told he's the world's only hope, the Elder assures him that, oh, it's just a show for the tourists, don't worry. Melody then moves to get a closer look, seemingly enjoying what she sees and giving him a welcome kiss, surprising him and Tracy while embarrassing Misty. Melody then asks if Misty is his girlfriend, but she refutes this claim. The group is then paraded into the island, Pikachu still seeming pretty uneasy. That night, the group is enjoying the festivities, eating in a large mess hall slash temple while the infamous dub line happens. 
And she says, <laughs> no, but I have crabbies. <laughs> I love how even the trivia page on Bulbapedia says that this is 100% an STD joke. Yeah, I honestly wasn't. There's a few lines from the dub that I wasn't prepared to hear. No, they the early dub went wild sometimes, especially considering it's four kids. Like, four kids love censoring stuff, and then they'll just add their own <laughs> whatever. That's the part that actually surprises me, the fact that it's four kids. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how many people knew what the line, like, was. Like, do you think some executive heard it and just didn't figure it out? More than likely, it just went over everyone's head. Went over my head for years. Surprisingly, you can get away with a lot of really weird lines, as long as you hide them very yeah. well. As I've learned from older animation. <laughs> yeah. Animaniacs. <laughs> Animaniacs is a good example, though the recent one I've come to notice is The Simpsons. The Simpsons, yeah. But they're at least marked as adult-ish. Misty is still salty over being called Ash's GF, but Ash ignores her and excitedly wonders about the ceremony he's taking place in before some music interrupts them. The group turns to see Melody, now in a white ritual robe and flower crown, playing a song on a shell-looking ocarina. And it is an absolutely iconic song. The version of it in the finale still brings a tear to my eye. Melody then gives a little speech to Ash, theatrically telling him what he has to do before explaining in plain speak. Hear ye all! From the trio of islands, ancient spears shall you take. For between life and death, all the difference you'll make. O oh, Chosen One, you must climb to the shrine to right what is wrong, and the world will be healed by the Guardian Song. What do I do? I just told you, Ash. Yeah, I heard all that stuff, but what do I have to do? Oh, it won't be very hard, Ash. Not for you. And besides, almost all the Chosen Ones come back alive. Melody! <laughs> All you have to do is get these glass balls from three islands. One from Fire Island, one from Ice Island, and one from Lightning Island. And you bring them to the shrine back here. And then, I celebrate by playing this song. Then it's over, oh chosen one. Do I get to wear a cool costume? Despite Melody saying that the boy has all of tomorrow to do the ritual and can just spend the night celebrating, Ash gets super into the role and insists that his duty as the Chosen One should come first. And this is really fun because if Ash did just wait until morning, like his actual character probably would do normally in the anime, the world would have just ended. It's kind of interesting that really the setup for this whole plot, it really doesn't make any sense as to why Ash would be so excited Besides the fact that he he just really wants to do it. He has protagonist syndrome. He wants to move the plot forward, <laughs> which is very interesting given that, yeah, no, this isn't an actual thing. It's just a, a fancy showmanship thing. Well, see, Ash just likes being important. Whenever, like, an episode in the uh, podcast episode before this, they, like, come across a warehouse burning down. And despite the situation seeming to be taken care of, Officer Jenny keeping everyone back, assuring that, like, the fire department's coming, Ash is immediately like, well, gee, we gotta help, because he just wants to be important. And everyone lets him be important, too. That is true. Marin then volunteers her boat for usage, Ash raring to go. He offers for Misty to join, but she huffs and is like, well, if you want someone to do whatever you want, get a girlfriend. 
Geez, sorry, I didn't know he was being so unreasonably demanding by offering for you to come along on a little mini-adventure. He wasn't, like, insisting you come. He was just like, hey, Misty, you want to join me for some fun? Pikachu then steals Ash's hat, running off in an effort to lead him somewhere, Ash chasing the rodent and Marin following after. They just go to the boat, though, which Ash was going to do anyway. Team Rocket, meanwhile, struggles to pedal a destroyed Magikarp sub to shore, complaining about their exhaustion. Marin's speedboat then rushes right towards them, blowing past the wreck and knocking the trio into the water. Just as they realize it was the twerp and his Pikachu who went by, lightning flashes and it starts to rain, the rockets sinking into a further depression before a wave washes them away. Elsewhere, the Slow King from the intro sits in the cave, reciting the prophetic warning to not disturb the Titans, sighing over the mess that's occurring. And yeah, this Slow King can talk, don't worry about it, it's never really addressed, he just exists. The Slow King doesn't have too much point in the movie. I think this is kind of a weird but interesting trope that they just kind of use for every single movie, where at least one Pokemon can talk. And usually it's a Pokemon from the next generation, too. Usually they can talk just because, oh, I guess this would make the plot kind of move a bit faster if we can understand what at least one Pokemon is saying besides Meowth. The second they introduced telepathy in the Christmas episode of all things, uh, it went wild. They went wild with it. Like sometimes a psychic type or a legendary, sure, I'm willing to buy they can use telepathy. But then like you just have a Zorua that can talk and everyone just is fine with it. They, they decide every Pokemon can use telepathy at a certain point. Ash and Marin continue to boat out despite the weather. Ash is scared, but I guess neither of the two humans are scared enough to put this off until the sea calms the next morning. Ash, you were on an island for a whole week at the start of the food fight episode because of waves half the size of this. Why is this random for fun ceremony so important to you and this random boater? Back at the island's ceremonial temple, Melody worries for Ash and Marin's safety, demanding to borrow Carol's boat, saying that they're in the storm because of their stupid ritual and decision to pick Ash for the role. At the harbor, the rocket trio climb out of the raging water, just in time to see Melody, Tracy, and Misty run towards the boat. You sure are sensitive about somebody who's not your boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend! He's a boy and he's a friend, but he's not a boyfriend! You talking about me? Thanks, Tracy. They, they were not talking about you, but thanks. The three then set off into the water, their boat seeming to have a better time dealing with the wave of the Marins for some reason. Team Rocket also secretly stowed themselves in a bid to steal Pikachu. Up in the air, Lawrence the Third smirks at the chaos he's causing, his computer notifying him of Zapdos' presence. In both the Temple and Oak's lab, people watch as the news details the storm and the strange current forming around the bird's island, Oak musing that this was what upset the Pokemon, I think. Hearing that the epicenter of the storm is the Orange Islands, Delia worries for Ash and his friend's safety, Oak then receiving a call from Professor Ivy. I think you pointed out that the computer that the call takes place on has like the symbols from the TCG. Yeah, I do find it kind of funny that this movie just acknowledges the TCG in general towards the end where the collectors revealed to have mm-hmm. a Mew card that started this whole thing. And also, specifically the computer that Oak uses, instead of what you would typically think of on a computer symbol, 
it just has the symbols for all the elements in the tcg i actually think the japanese intros use the uh, tcg symbols a lot more but the english dub generally just cuts them out for some reason i don't know why but it might just be that it was something that they didn't notice Maybe. while editing i mean it's also a pretty insignificant thing it's like oh there's some symbols on the computer who cares but the intros they like rearrange entirely also we have one of the two short cameos of brock in this whole entire movie yeah, Brock uh, dies in Orange Islands. He is not around. Rest in peace, Brock. He he also um, has PTSD from Ivy, so we'll see that later. She tells her... Ivy tells her peer that the Pokemon are behaving strangely. Brock running around in the background, struggling with some chaotic lab Pokemon. As Ash and Amelia get near the first island destination, the storm begins to clear, but the waves only get bigger and rougher. While Marin manages to navigate the large rocks surrounding the island, a large wave launches them in the air, causing her rudder to break against a rock tip. They're then launched onto land, the boat marooned and damaged, but its occupants unharmed. And also the rudder breaking is pointless because they're just on the beach anyway, they they didn't need to show that scene because the boat's not moving regardless. They just wanted to show some danger in the trip, despite the fact that, yeah, they can't yeah. <laughs> crash it anyways. Before they can collect themselves, Pikachu runs off again, Ash pursuing it up a giant rock stairway, despite Marin's warning of the storm picking up again. Melody, meanwhile, blasts through the waves, riding along big ones, assuring the group that she's been around boats all her life and to not be scared. Misty then calmly replies that, as a water-type gym resident, she never gets scared of the ocean. Which is a lie, because she was definitely scared of it in the first movie. And while she may not remember the first movie, it still happened, and she was spooked. A big wave then causes the boat to flip into the air, Team Rocket falling out and hanging onto a tarp as it's blown away, the rest of the group landing safely back in the sea. As Marin makes the most of her shipwreck, eating chips and making some hot chocolate, she's suddenly jolted around as Melody's ship lands on a rock near her. Both assure the other that their respective groups are fine, but that Marin's boat is damaged and Ash ran further up the island's mountain. Suddenly, Melody's boat begins to be blown off the rock. Acting fast, she pulls a lever, deploying a sail and somehow navigating it up onto the stairs. It flies? The wind direction makes no sense, and somehow her boat is completely fine despite scraping up a bunch of stone steps. It's kind of insane, too, because it implies that the boat is stronger than the stone itself, as it just completely shatters all the stone as it goes up. <laughs> and then later, the boat becomes like tissue paper. <laughs> it just, like, smashes no problem. It, it, it's so weird just how perfectly this boat goes up those steps, and then out of nowhere just destroys itself later on. Yeah, it's a um, Schrodinger's boat durability. It's as durable as it needs to be when you look at it. In the airship, Lawrence continues to pridefully observe his first capture, awaiting Zapdos's arrival on Fire Island. On said island, Ash continues to follow Pikachu, a recovering Team Rocket gleefully seeing him while hiding and laughing at their good luck. In a giant pit in the middle of the mountain, a walkway leads to a shrine in the center of it. 
Pikachu awaits Ash's arrival, indicating that he should take the red stone from a Moltres statue's beak. Complying and recognizing it as one of the relics he needs to collect for the ceremony, our hero pulls it out, observing the flame blazing inside of it. However, just as him and Pikachu prepare to descend again, the rocket trio block his path. Guess who, Pikachu? Pikachu? Was that? Prepare for more trouble than you've ever seen. And make it double, we're on the big screen. I'll have to catch this on video. <laughs> also, I just realized, actually, um, how come Meowth doesn't, like, recognize something wrong's going on? He's a Pokemon. I think they, the writers kind of forget from time to time. Though at the same time, it's also implied that he's also forgotten how to use basically any Pokemon moves from spending so much time trying to learn how to walk and talk. Yeah, but I mean... Oak is like, all Pokemon are attuned in nature, and they all detect something's wrong, and then there's Meowth just like, yeah, but I still want Pikachu. Meowth's okay if the world ends, as long as they get Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. Just as Jesse says that their luck's changed, and their ships finally come in, they are nearly crushed by Melody's ship flying up the stairs, landing next to a stunned Ash. Melody scolds Ash on his rashness, and then teases Misty about putting up with it when Ash and the redhead marry. Listen to me, kid. When you get involved with the opposite sex, you're only asking for trouble. Yes, and that's the kind of trouble I stay out of. Yous two don't need the opposite sex, because you got each other. What does that mean? Not funny. I actually have no idea what that means, Meowth. Please explain. Before any of the people present can do anything else, electricity fills the sky, Zapdos flying in and electrifying some of Fire Island's pillars, almost hitting the group. Ash, stunned to see a legendary Pokemon. Pikachu then shoots a small lightning bolt at the bird, despite Ash's protests and is hit by one in return, being knocked back. However, Zapdos seems to calm a small amount, landing and creating a field of static in the mountain's pit. Pikachu crawls forward, electrocuting the legendary Pokemon to seemingly no effect. Meowth then explains to his teammates that Pikachu isn't attacking, he's actually communicating with electricity, which the cat can somehow thankfully understand, even though later in the series he sees like the same thing happening and can't understand it. This is also one of like only two times this ever happens. It's fine. Meowth can just translate everything. Yeah. He's like, oh, that electricity bolt means hello. Red to blue means nice to meet you. <laughs> he translates that Pikachu is asking why Zapdos is on Fire Island instead of its home on Lightning Island and wondering where Moltres is. Pikachu also just knows where Zapdos' home is, just instinctively, I guess, too. It's so weird in this movie that all the Pokemon are being called here and just know exactly what to do in order to fix this calamity, despite them never, ever being there. Yeah, I guess all Pokemon just have, like, a chip in their brain that tells them when something is wrong with Zapdos. They just all have, they've all gone through disaster prepping and have been told, okay, in case of this end of the world scenario, do this. Yeah, Kangaskhan taught them. The bird zaps Pikachu back, explaining that Moltres has gone somewhere, and taking advantage of that, it's now claiming Fire Island as its own. Just as Zapdos looks like it's beginning to attack the helpless trainers and Pikachu, its electric whips detect something, focusing on and pulling down Lawrence's airship. 
Lawrence, safe in his control pit, happily notes that his ship is absorbing Zapdos's attack, draining it of its energy. He then sends down some flying squares, which pursue and try to grab the bird. I wonder, do you think Lawrence built the airship himself or had it commissioned? Because if it was commissioned, then like, it would be really funny if he was like, yes, mechanic, I require a huge electricity absorbing mechanic. No reason. I think it just kind of implied that he's more a collector than anything else. So more than likely, he just kind of paid someone to build this ship with all these weirdly specific requirements. <laughs> yeah. The mechanic's like, ah, you got it, boss. Maybe they went to the Team Rocket mechanic because they just put whatever in. Either that or they went to the Team Plasma mechanic because they also just install a Kirim cannon that doesn't require Kirim into it. <laughs> yeah. The bird manages to dodge a lot of the flying squares, one cluster inadvertently capturing Ash's group, Team Rocket, and Melody's boat. Unfortunately, Zapdos is eventually cornered, being contained in an electric field as it and our heroes are brought on board the airship. Lawrence looking at his planning board, one more bird down and one left to go. After a quick shot of a silhouetted CGI Lugia swimming through the ocean, Lawrence receives a warning from his computer, announcing the extra capture of Ash's group. Having been placed in a cage, the trainers look in horror at the screeching Moltres and Zapdos, before Melody spots an ancient tablet in front of them, reading the prophecy-slash-warning to not disturb the Titans to the rest of the group. Our movie's antagonist then descends from the roof, welcoming his additional captives and bragging about the two birds in his possession, lamenting his missing Articuno before Misty interrupts him, calling his desire to collect Pokemon like simple items disgusting. This is kind of really hilarious, especially when you consider what Pokemon's all about, and even later on with Journeys, where you have a character like Go, whose whole mission is to just do that and capture every pokemon that moves now with some credit to um this movie though that was actually a dub only line in japanese she's just like well why don't you keep them in pokeballs you weirdo and also it's especially funny because like ash is right there too with pikachu <laughs> yeah so either way a little bit hypocritical lawrence tells misty that he's not a pokemon trainer but merely a collector Having started his obsession when he obtained a special Mew trading card, his particular passion being legendary Pokemon. Which he's really bad at capturing because this is like his first attempt at it. That's like saying, I have a passion for riding unicycles after like falling off one once. He's just really excited that he finally saved up enough money to actually build his expensive fortress to actually capture things. Yeah, he's just a trust fund baby that's like, finally, a passion. <laughs> the humans are released from the cage, Lawrence then ascending back upstairs to finish preparing for Articuno's arrival. In the storm, Articuno lays icy waste to some random island. On the main island, the residents watch as the news documents the worsening storm, also showing the large swarms of Pokemon approaching the island by sea and air, the ones unable to fly or swim standing on land as close as they can get. The newscaster is revealed to be in a helicopter en route to the island, alongside Oak, Ivy, and Delia. This is also the first time Oak's name, Samuel, is revealed, alongside Ivy's name of Felina as well. And Samuel Oak's name is actually really important in a couple movies. 
Oak theorizes that Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres are somehow involved in the storm, as many cultures refer to this island cluster as the Cradle of the Ocean, the source of all water in the world. While the facts of this are disputed, he says that it makes some sense as fire and ice make water. This is such a stupid way to describe the fact about how important the legendary birds are. Yeah, but also when they're like, what about Lightning Island? He's like, well, well, if you disturb lightning, then other stuff happens too. He just like doesn't answer. He's like, lightning doesn't matter. It's just if you mess with it, something happens. I don't, I'm pretty sure Oak has no clue what's actually happening. He's just trying to sound professional. No, not in the slightest. He's just doing his best. He then finishes by saying that the powerful current caused by the unbalanced forces, the beast of the sea, could severely damage the world. Now, there are two things here. One, the dub cut out part of the animation here for some reason. It was just more of Oak going, oh, the end of days, ah, so I don't really know why it was trimmed. And two, because it's not the most clear in the English dub, with only like one or two lines kind of emphasizing it, for years, I thought otherwise, but the beast of the sea in the prophecy is actually not Lugia, but is actually the current caused by the angry birds. I am also pretty sure that Lawrence was working under this misconception, too, because he thinks it means Lugia several times throughout the movie. It's kind of funny, too, just because you do think that the beast of the sea would clearly be Lugia, but no, just Lugia just kind of hangs out in that current. He's just the guardian. The beast is water ooh spooky water it's like the pikmin enemy <laughs> i mean it is spooky water it's spooky cg water ooh yeah that's true spooky cg ivy then explains that the world's pokemon more in tune with nature than humans sense this imbalance in the world and are instinctively traveling to see if they in any small way can fix it the news anchor then notices delia asking who the heck this random woman is the distraught mother then tells the camera that her son is in the archipelago and that she worries for his safety, saying that Ash is her whole world. Foreshadowing! Yay! Also kind of funny that they just kind of let this random lady into the helicopter. Yeah, they didn't ask who she was until she was already, like, en route to it. At the collection of pillars, the falling rain now replaced by a snowy blizzard, Sloking continues to stare at the raging sea. I could use pants. Carol also watches the snow, worried for her sister. And not her friend Marin, who is abandoned on Fire Island and probably has been lost contact. I think the movie just kind of forgets about them. Honestly, I thought the movie completely forgot about her, but it turns out they actually do have a moment of her appearing in the end credits. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't matter anymore. She's just, she's basically is this episode's Lapras. She's just a boat. It's fine. She's just going to wait it out with her hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. That's what's keeping her alive in the snowy blizzard. Ash's group and the rocket trio watch Articuno's rampage from the skyship, Melody then reading the tablet again, realizing that the legend written on it is coming true. What if the ancient legend is coming true? If it is true, all intelligent life will be destroyed. That's right. And I'll be... You will be fine. The groups then decide that they have to set the two birds free, but are unsure how. Ash charges at one of the containment fields, but is bounced back from it like a wall. Lawrence, meanwhile, begins launching fireballs at Articuno, who dodges them, continuing its destruction. 
The CGI Lugia, meanwhile, begins to move for the surface. Pikachu continues to electrocute the Moltres prison, Ash sending out Charizard to help with Flamethrower. Seeing that's still not enough, even Team Rocket helps, having Weezing and Arbok attempt to break Zapdos out as well. Weezing comically bounces off of it in miserable failure, but Arbok's poison sting has some minimal effect at least. Ash then also has Squirtle and Bulbasaur use Water Gun and Vine Whip too. In another scene that was oddly cut by the dub, Tracy realizes that, well, Pikachu's lightning separates the oxygen and hydrogen in Squirtle's water, which is then fire blasted by Charizard. Which means there's going to be an explosion and everyone should get down! True enough, the casing is hit with an explosive force, breaking and freeing Moltres. It then immediately shoots a fire blast at Zapdos, freeing it as well. Both birds then break out of the airship, attacking each other, the ship, and nothing at all indiscriminately, flying past a stunned Lawrence. And also, I know they don't realize it at the time, but, like, Ash just made his work harder for him? Like, if he just left the birds on the ship and dealt with them later, he would have only had to deal with Articuno when finishing the prophecy. That is very true. While it is important to release them, it... It's kind of a bit more important to worry about the whole orb thing. Like, fair, they don't know about it at this point, but in retrospect, it's like, dang, Ash, you made your life a lot harder in this very moment. Our heroes run to a hole in the hall, before retreating back inside to brace for impact on Lightning Island, now frozen over. Along with some artifacts on the ship, Melody's boat falls into the water as the fortress crashes and starts to collapse. The group tries to run down a collapsed pillar, but the angle causes them all to slip and roll down it, landing in the snow before continuing their run. They're about to rush right past Lightning Island's altar, before the skyship crashes into it, almost hitting them as well. The lightning arm conveniently rolls in front of Ash, who picks it up before dodging one of Zapdos's attacks. As the birds clash in the sky, firing attacks randomly at the sea and the land below as well, the Pokey crew and Team Rocket rush onto Melody's boat. Before they can settle into the ship, a piece of debris knocks them backwards, sending them careening off a waterfall on the island, plummeting to the water below. But before they can hit the ground, a giant water vortex lifts the ship up, carrying it away as a strange whale-like song fills the air. As the boat is brought to the pillars we've seen throughout the movie, the group scrambles to get out of the boat, everyone jumping right off before it slides off the ledge and crashes into the icy sea below. As everyone tries to catch their breath, the Slow King stands before them, telling Ash to put the treasures he found into the little rock divots. Before Ash can fully ask why Slow King can talk, Pikachu rushes Ash to do what Slow King says. Also, I don't know why I remembered this while watching the movie, but I remembered this post about Frank Welker, of all things, and how he's an incredible voice actor with great range, but he can never say the word treasure right. So every time they were talking about treasure, I'm always like, oh, the treasure. I think I know the one you're talking about. There's like a whole compilation of Fred <laughs> just saying treasure in the strangest ways. <laughs> it's just like treasure. And he still apparently has that problem, I think. Maybe it's just a joke at this point. I don't know. But that's all I can think of when they're talking about treasure. It's like, treasure. I think at this point, he just kind of wants to go with it. And they're carrying treasures from the pyramid. Before the treasures are smuggled out of the country. The stolen treasures. 
Ash fits the orb into the hole facing their corresponding islands, but just as he sees that he's missing the final one, the Slowking sneaks up behind him, initiating conversation. Ash wonders how the Slowking knew his name, but before he gets an answer, everyone turns to the now closer feuding birds, all causing chaos in the sea. Just as a stray blast is about to hit everyone, the water vortex appears, blocking it and scaring off the birds somewhat. As the pillar dissipates, Lugia, the great guardian, emerges from it, everyone in land staring in awe. It begins to sing the whale-like cries heard earlier, Melody realizing that it sounds somewhat like her ocarina song. Lauren, sitting in the wreckage of his fortress, spies on Lugia, admiring his soon-to-be prize, calling it the Beast of the Sea, and proving my assumption about the name mix-up. Lugia begins flying around the elemental birds, luring them away from Ash's group before diving underwater to launch another vortex at them. It's then quickly frozen, but Lugia breaks free. After some more fancy wind work, after some more fancy wing work, the birds all manage to hit Lugia with their respective attacks, but the guardian reverses it right back at them. Melody then recites more of the ancient warning. The Guardian shall rise to quell the fighting, but alone its song will fail. When it does, the world will turn to ash, Slowking lamenting the grim situation. Lugia, in an attempt to guard the humans, takes a full-force attack from each of the birds, falling unconscious into the sea, where it's then triple-team attacked even further. The news helicopter flies close to the rock ceremonial altar, Delia seeing and worrying over Ash's presence there. Ivy then points out that the large groups of Pokemon seem to be making another desperate move. I hate Ivy's voice so much. It's very just whatever. It's so weird. Monotone kind of voice. It's like she's just realizing what the words on the page say for the first time. <laughs> it seems that the Pokemon are moving towards the island. Gyarados carve a path through the ice for water Pokemon, while land-dwelling ones begin their hike across the frozen sea, flying types migrating closer as well, all gathering around the pillar altar. I'll say one quick thing. The movie really doesn't seem to use a lot of CG for the background Pokemon, but specifically in a shot around this area, you can very clearly tell that a lot of Pokemon are just silhouetted CG models just kind of standing around. Yeah, just doing an idle animation. To which, all I can think of when looking at some of them, how they move, specifically the Kangaskhan, I can't help but wonder if they just ripped the CG models from Pokemon Stadium and just slapped them on there. It's very likely. Save some time and money. Despite their gathering, Slowking still laments that only the Chosen One can fix this disaster. Melody worries that the legend seems to foretell doom, the song failing, and the world turning to ash, and they have no idea where to even start looking. Until Misty realizes that the text had the answer the whole time. The world turns to ash Ketchum, the chosen one. This is a really fun bit of wordplay the dub used that I really like, actually. And since all the other dubs are based off of the English one instead of the Japanese one, this wordplay is completely untranslatable, which is really funny. Like, other languages have to work really hard to get this plot to work. Ash worries that it will be too difficult for him and that he may fail, but his friends insist that he's the only one capable of fixing this, 
even though none of them are willing to try either. I know it doesn't sound easy, Ash. But you're the only one who matches the legend perfectly. What do you say? Well, right now, I wish my mom had named me Bob instead of Ash. Melody then remembers that Lugia's cry sounded like her ocarina song, playing a portion of it because, why not, worth a shot. Hearing the music, a sinking Lugia reawakens, bursting through the ice in a rainbow spiral, thanking Melody for playing the rejuvenating song. I've seen so many memes of this where Lugia's like, your Melody has restored my strength, and it's just like, a picture of that and then their Spotify playlist with just like a bunch of random songs. It's like me when I get home from work and play Spotify. It's like your song has restored my strength. I, I will note that the first couple times I've seen this movie, I still can't get used to Lugia's voice in this scene specifically. It just kind of comes out of left field. <laughs> really? Especially since like before this, all you heard was just like screeching and whale humming. It's weird, too, because they they both voice Lugia at times, and then also just other times, they just go back to just no voice at all. <sighs> I, I, one day I want to watch the Japanese version, see what Japanese Lugia sounds like. However, Lugia explains that the song alone is not enough to calm the three warring titans, and that they need all three island's treasures, which will help enhance the song's strength to end the fighting, and that only the Chosen One can bring this to pass. There's also kind of a lame, tacked-on reason for why only Ash can do it. The Ice Orb's power only awakens in his hand for some reason. I think it's a dub edit, and we just kind of have to live with it, but I also don't know the original line, so I wouldn't swear to it. Ash is hesitant to travel past the raging birds, which once again are to some small degree his fault since he freed them, but after Lugia says that it's his choice what he does, and all his Pokemon pop out to give some encouragement, Ash resolves to travel across the battlefield, willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, you're right, I can do it! I'm the chosen one. Right now, I feel more like the frozen one. Another excellent dub edition. And I, people love circulating this scene, like whenever dub conversations come up and they're like, um, are you sure the dub's inferior? And I just play this line. It's a really good line. Once again, another great joke that can't really be translated. Thank you, English, for giving us the power of puns. While Ash struggles through the deep snow, he sees Melody's destroyed boat with a rope hanging off of it. Hatching an idea, we cut to him having made a sled pulled by some of his Pokemon. Now, Charizard pulling it makes perfect sense. He's a big, strong evolution that can fly over the snow, right? But why is he having Squirtle and Bulbasaur pull it? They should be having just as much trouble with the super deep snow as Ash had, if not more. But they're just fine. They're running along it, no problem. It's like, they don't even have good legs for it. They have little stubby nubs. I don't know why them running is better. All it makes me think of is the boat race scene at the beginning of Pokemon Heroes. And yeah, probably should have just stuck to only Charizard. <laughs> yeah, at least in Pokemon Heroes, like, it's in the water, so Ash can justifiably use Squirtle a bit better. Or sorry, I think it was Totodile at that point. It's yeah. Totodile. But, like, regardless, <laughs> this makes no sense. Bulbasaur, like, hops. I don't know why he's helping at all. 
Also, Lugia is flying right behind him because the jerk couldn't even give the kid a lift. Like, he gives Ash a ride later, but right now, no, he has to get there himself. It's kind of implied that Lugia is just distracting the bird so that way they can make it across safely. Though, yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose when he gets the orbs. Like, all right, just hop on now. Yeah, and it's like, well, I guess we'll continue to distract the birds while I fly with you on me. Lugia, just give him a ride. It's quicker that way. Back on the altar, Ash's friends watch him leave, hoping for his safe return. Team Rocket, hiding in a cliff behind them, are upset that Ash always gets to be the hero instead of the three of them. Despite him mostly just resolving stuff they're at fault for. Meowth then sadly says that, well, they could be heroes too if they just caught a lucky break. Which they also did in another Orange Islands episode. They actually were the heroes of that episode at one point, but regardless. At that moment, the news helicopter loses control and crashes behind them. While its occupants are all thankfully unharmed somehow, the vehicle is completely destroyed. The rocket trio, seeing a fan propeller from the helicopter and an inflatable raft they stole from Melody's boat before it crashed, think up a genius idea. Ash continues his sled ride, his Pokemon and Lugia helping defend him from the three birds' attacks, but still struggling, Ash eventually losing his sled and recalling Charizard when an ice blast breaks open the sea in front of them, the boy and his other Pokemon almost falling in. He sadly resigns himself to never being able to reach the island now, until the sound of an engine catches his attention, our hero turning to see Team Rocket race towards him on a fan-propelled raft. If that kid thinks we're here for trouble... We're certainly going to burst his bubble. Instead of causing tribulation... We've undergone a transformation. Though it's way outside our usual range. We're going to do something nice for a change. <laughs> Jesse! James! Up till now, Team Rocket's been quite unscrupulous. Being good guys for once would be super dupulous. That's right! What are they doing here? This is also the only movie where they're given a variation of their motto, and one of only a few where they have the chance to recite it in full. Accepting their aid, Ash asks why they're helping him as they swiftly fly across the ice. The three criminals explaining that, well, they don't want the world to end, and even if they survive, there'd be no one left to commit crimes against. The birds then begin attacking, Team Rocket engaging in some evasive maneuvers while Lugia shields them when it can. They then make it successfully to Ice Island, riding their contraption onto it and through a tunnel and ice bridge leading to the altar. Ash rushes to grab the final orb, which fills with a blue bolt of frost when he frees it. The group then rushes back onto their boat, but before they can escape, the three birds attack them and each other, resulting in the raft's destruction. Pikachu then shows the trainers a spot they can climb up, escaping from the pit the altar was in and running down the side of the mountain. Lugia approaches Ash as he flees, having him climb onto its back finally. Once again, don't know why this wasn't the first option on the way to the island, but eh. Team Rocket also jumps onto Lugia, latching onto its leg as the Pokemon and Ash were 100% willing to abandon the three despite their incredible amount of help. However, as Lugia tries to make it back to the ceremonial grounds, it's bombarded with attacks, only narrowly dodging them, Team Rocket coming to a realization. We're slowing Lugia down! The three of us are too heavy! Let's try Weight Watchers! It's too late for that! I know it's never too late if you really stick to the program! 
we don't let go, they may not make it back. Let's protect the world from devastation. Guess we gotta let go. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. Uh, what are you doing? Team, Team Rocket's blasting off with gun! Team Rocket! Think we did the right thing? I know we did the right thing, Jesse. And it feels great. Well, this is it then. <sighs> Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say... We're gonna die. I don't know why Ash was so worried. They've survived way worse injuries caused by his own hand. That is very true. I do find it kind of interesting just how dramatic they make their sacrifice. But yeah, honestly, they've been through worse. Yeah, he's like, Team Rocket, no! And they're falling like a quarter of the distance they usually do. I mean, think about how many times in the Orange Islands alone that they've just fallen out of flying vehicles. Mm -hmm. And also they show Team Rocket being perfectly fine too. They land in an open patch of ice and just swim back up to the surface and they see the giant Pokemon horde standing there watching and they say they're fine even though the water is probably freezing and also known to have a deadly current in it. I think it would have been more fun to leave it ambiguous until the ending scene that they survived, actually. Well, it's probably not actually freezing given how stupid the weather is, but it's probably getting pretty close if they stay on it. Yeah, and also, like I said, there's there's a deadly current rushing through the entire ocean right now. Honestly, the biggest threat would have been as soon as they touched the water, they probably would have sank in there. Yeah. Hey, I just realized, what are, what's Kyogre and Manaphy doing right now, huh? They're not doing anything about this? Actually, hold on. Maybe the Beast of the Sea is actually Kyogre, and it just got really upset that, like, Zapdos moved islands. Because it's like, that was my scenic Zapdos viewing spot. And it just, like, made the current because it was upset. That's true. This is all Kyogre's fault, actually. It usually is when there's something <laughs> wrong with the weather. I mean, it, actually, it would explain why the weather's acting so funny, given what happens with Kyogre just in general when they appear. Yeah. <laughs> this is all Kyogre's fault in the end. Ash then sees the huge horde of Pokemon as well, asking Lugia why they all gathered there. Lugia! Why are all those Pokemon down there? Because they feel they must be here in case they are needed. What can they do to help? They are not sure, and that is why they are here. What do you mean? That just one Pokémon could help the world would be worth the journey for thousands of them any day. But this day, the one that can make all the difference is you. Just as Ash and Lugia are about to meet back at the ceremony altar, Lawrence decides that now would be the best time to troll all of them and attempts his theft on Lugia. The electric triangles surround Lugia, shocking it and causing the Guardian to fall into the ocean along with Ash. It manages to free itself slightly and musters up its energy to use a massive hyperbeam, completely destroying Lawrence's base. I will say, Lugia using that hyperbeam, all I could think about is Shin Godzilla and how it uses the atomic breath in that movie. It just yeah, looks, Angry it Lugia also looks great. It just looks so brutal, and it's <laughs> it honestly does. amazing. I'm surprised he even survived. <laughs> yeah, he probably should have died, actually, in the retrospect. However, Lugia is weakened by this attack, falling into the ocean again. Ash floats to the surface unconscious, but Lugia sinks, thinking that it failed its mission to prevent calamity. 
As the storm worsens, the Pokemon and humans watch on, worried at this turn of events. Melody tries to give Misty the ocarina so she can go search for Ash, but the redhead refuses, kindly saying that Melody has to be the one to play the song, volunteering to find Ash herself, adding that the boy is never truly alone because he has her. The two girls clasp hands, Misty then swimming out to save the unconscious Ash, Tracy pulling them back in with rope. She panickedly gives the boy CPR, reviving him successfully. Wasting literally zero time, Ash stumbles his way back to the shrine, his friends helping him up when he falls. Melody and Slowking are happy to see that he's okay, our hero placing the final treasure in the remaining slot. The orbs all light up, filling the altar with green light. The text on the pedestal glows as well, before a small burst of energy clears it of snow, glowing water then filling the basin around them, turning the stone pillars to crystal somehow. Melody takes this as her cue, playing Lugia's song as the crystal pillars light up with notes. Melody takes this as her cue, playing Lugia's song as the crystal pillars light up with the notes. The birds, near death, look towards the noise. The storm begins to clear, light peeking through the clouds. The altar's water spills over, filling the ocean with the same glow, melting the ice. The birds then ascend into the sky, followed by a restored Lugia. It lands and invites Ash onto its back once more, flying the trainer above the healed archipelago as a giant arcway of water appears over it, the beast of the sea rising one more time. All of the gathered Pokémon begin returning, the CGI water arcway returning to the ocean, and the birds going back to their islands as well. The beast of the sea now calmed. Ah, uh, Lugia's song is just so good, man! Like, you can listen to it without the visuals and it's still enough to, like, tear up a bit. The islanders stare out at the calm seas, a news report saying that the worldwide catastrophe has seemed to have subsided. Lugia bids farewell to the humans, commending Ash for his efforts as it dives back into the sea. Delia calls out to Ash, her and the professors climbing down the cliffside to the altar. She runs over to him, scolding him for his recklessness. All right, start talking. You are in big trouble, mister. But, Mrs. Ketchum, Ash just helped save the whole world. Oh, he did, did he? Well, I could have lost my whole world. Huh? Every day I worry about you and wonder if you're all right. I know I can't stop you from doing the things you need to do. I just can't help missing you all the time. You're a Pokemon trainer, and that's just how it is. This is super interesting to me because in the main series, she's just like this completely uncaring mother towards Ash, like not even worrying when he's kidnapped by dangerous mafia members right in front of her. But maybe this kind of shows that like she worries about the kid, but is just simultaneously confident enough in him to trust that he'll be okay in the end. Still, like she really flip-flops how much she cares about her kid. I think it's more just... She really likes her kid, but also just kind of wants to let them figure it out on their own. <laughs> Maybe. But she's like, he'll figure out how to escape from these armed criminals on his own. He's got That it. or she has way too much trust in her in the Pikachu. Maybe. Maybe. Pikachu wasn't with him, though, I think. Yeah, Pikachu was not with him in that scene. Oh, that's true. She, she was just like, yeah, he's fine by himself. He's been a Pokemon trainer for about a year now. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's just like, oh, Team Rocket, those silly goofballs Ash told me about. He'll be fine. It could also be just that 
after every single attack a team rocket has done and failed ash just tells his mom about it it's just like oh that mafia oh no i don't have to worry, about, it. worry about that one ash agrees to his mom's request to try saving the world a bit closer to home next time which never happens each movie takes place further and further from kanto after hearing some more encouragement from his family ash's friends look on at the reunion smiling Oak then insisting that they rush back to Palatown to inform the other researchers of the discoveries here. I feel like it might be a better idea to kind of just hang out there a bit longer, given what just happened. But, you know, if you just kind of want to go back. No, Palatown, we go. Okay. (laughs) That night, Lawrence recovers his ancient Mew card from the wreckage, reminiscing over his start and saying that he'll just have to start over again. Facing no real repercussions for his actions and not learning a single thing. Yeah, Lawrence does not face any consequences at all, does he? And he's willing to just be like, well, time to try again. Yeah, he just doesn't learn anything. I guess now he knows that the Beast of the Sea is... No, he doesn't even He doesn't learn that, no. He still thinks it's Lugia. I guess now he just knows that Lugia can completely kick his butt. He's gonna need a bigger ship. Yeah, he's gonna go back to the mechanic and be like... Um, excuse me, I need a hyperbeam reflecting barrier on my ship, please? <laughs> like, yeah, you got it, boss. The next day, Team Rocket manages to climb up onto the altar, extremely happy that for once they were heroes, but lamenting the fact that nobody got to see it. Until Slowking tells them to guess again, assuring the trio that lots of people saw their good deed, turning to face the audience as he says, well, they're still watching. And as the scene rises into the sky, the movie ends with Team Rocket doing a little comedy routine before the credits play. Oh, then I guess the bad guys... Are finally... Good guys! So then we're not bad. That's good! What if the boss finds out? That's bad! We'll start our own team. That's good! But we got no money! That's bad! Then we'll just steal some! That's good! Or is that bad? Oh... And yeah, this is the Simpsons reference. This is also where my movie just decided to stop recording and then continue as soon as the credits started. <laughs> it's fine, you got to hear a funny goof a bunch. And also, the credits show everyone fine, Melody practicing her playing and Marin bidding farewell to the island, before we get the pretty standard montage of Ash's groups traveling. It's, it's a pretty scene, but there's not really much to note about it. I will say, with Melody, it's kind of strange how they bring up the fact that she's not no nonsense with her tribe and everything and then just the movie kind of forgets about that almost instantly yeah she gets really into the ritual pretty quick uh one other thing to note about the credits is that weird al sings the song polkamon in it and it hits extremely abruptly after a very slow emotional song and is quickly followed by another slow emotional song and it's all pretty great it's so weird just the whiplash that comes from Weird Al just in the middle of the credits. You would think that he would either be towards the beginning or towards the end, but no, just stick him right there in the middle. And it's also fun because, like, Pokemon right now, people look at it and they're like, it's kind of weird they're getting all these, like, you know, high-quality celebrities to do, like, music videos and stuff for them. And then they, they forget that they got, like, a bunch of actual known artists to do other stuff, like Weird Al in the second movie. And he actually tried to get permission to include this song in an album of, like, his lesser-known songs, but was actually denied it. Pokemon said, no, you can't use this song in your album. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a good song. Uh, 
funny thing to note about the song because you only get like a small snippet of it in the movie but in the the full song uh he lists basically a lot of pokemon that just kind of exist trying to rhyme them all together but of course he included a little joke in it where ditto's the only pokemon that's mentioned twice mm-hmm. uh, weird Al's too smart for his own good so that's the movie right ready to talk about it a little bit sure so I do just want to bring up the fact that uh, cause it's kind of well known at this point, but Lugia was designed just for this movie, and the creator was surprised that they kept using Lugia as like an actual Pokemon in the series, because he was expecting it to just be like this cool creature for the movie that never shows up again, like not even in the games. Yeah, basically at, at that point, legendaries weren't as big of a thing. If you really think about it, Gen One, you had Mewtwo, Zapdos, Articuno, and Moltres. With Mewtwo and they were kind being, of hidden, too. Yeah, Mewtwo being the only one that actually has any lore behind it, in that it's a Pokemon that's man-made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so at this point, uh, Lugia is kind of the first Pokemon to really exist to have a purpose. Specifically for the movie, it's essentially to fill the role of sort of a water guardian before Kyogre is a thing. Yeah, and I'm listen, honestly... So happy he designed Lugia. Lugia is great. I love Lugia. They did a really good job designing Lugia. He's so simple, but he's so good. I, I honestly just really appreciate just the fact that they decided to give it arm wings, which is a very interesting design. <laughs> Though, honestly, my favorite design aspect of it has always been the weird little flippy things that are just on his back <laughs> that just kind of yeah. pop in and out. For no reason. Like, what do they do? They can't break wind that well, right? They can't, like, parachute him effectively? My guess would be that it's more to be used when he's underwater, but it is kind of just funny that's a little detail that they decided to include on the design. And also, we get Shadow Lugia later, which is also great. Shadow Lugia is fantastic as well. They really are. He had Lycanroc eyes before Lycanroc. So one other interesting thing about this film that I found is that uh, in the Japanese version... The main theme of the movie is, like, cooperation with, like, everyone and everything. Well, in the dub version, it's very focused on individualism. And, like, that, especially with Lugia's altered text about the Pokemon being, like, they're here to do what they can, but only you can do something. And It's really interesting, I think, because I feel like the actual animation and, like, some of the plot points kind of match both themes. Like, there's the point where Ash is, like, stumbling up the altar and his friends are helping him up. And, uh, you know, he uses his Pokemon to reach the island and Team Rocket helps him there. And that's all the cooperation. But, like, there are other points where it's like, yeah, if Ash was not here, nothing would happen. I think it's very apparent in the Nate, the subtitle of the movie, where with the English version, it's subtitled The Power of One, emphasizing just how important Ash's role is to the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. While the actual Japanese movie title is kind of not really focused on that. Yeah, it's like Lugia Reincarnation or something. Lugia's Explosive Burr. Yeah. And I, I actually wrote a um, an essay for a final in a, a Japanese anime manga class I took in college just to fill up some credits. And there's a very notable theme, especially in early translations and just like early manga in general where Japan is very focused on cooperation. Every single person is a cog in a machine, more or less. And, 
you know, America and the West is very, very focused on individualism. You're supposed to go on your own as soon as you can, be the change you want to see in the world. And it, this is like probably one of the most clear cut examples of that like difference in philosophy like america thought that an individualist theme would resonate more with audiences here than the cooperation theme i think it's also just kind of interesting that this movie definitely feels like it really has a lot of elements that are kind of in princess mononoke where it's just leaning towards the emphasis of the environment but at the same time being pulled back by the fact that it's a Pokemon movie. <laughs> yeah, a bit. Uh, it, it's more like saying, like, it's less environment. Environment's actually like a later movie. This one's more like, don't disturb the balance of stuff. And that's another thing where it's like, more Japanese-leaning, because it's like, yeah, if you interrupt the balance, if you interrupt these cogs in the machine, disaster's gonna strike. But then, once again, the individualism comes in where it's like, but only one person can really kind of set this right, and it's just so interesting how, like, if you took all the dialogue out, just the scenes and plot beats in this movie really fit both of those. Also, back to the villain again. Out of all of the Pokemon villains in all of the movies, he's probably the most random of all of them. He just shows up having the flimsiest of all motivations and contributes the least compared to all of the other villains in all the other movies and gets zero consequences. I do find it hilarious just how easily he's kind of dispatched. He, he basically just exists for the movie to actually kind of start, and then the movie just kind of forgets about him. Yeah, like, all the other villains, it's like, either their machinations lead to a final conf- confrontation, or they are the final confrontation, like, in a robot or something. This guy is just like, I'm going to mess with Lugia at the worst time possible. His whole goal is simply just to capture Lugia... To which is kind of, he basically just creates everything that happens in the movie. But at the same time, he doesn't really have a, he doesn't really confront Ash or any of the, any of the other trainers, despite having a little monologue with them. He just kind of, he sees Ash and the rest of the group once the whole movie. Yeah. And then just gets easily taken care of by Lugia with like an offshoot hyperbeam. Another kind of fun little detail is just the fact that this whole this guy's whole motivation is just based on Pokemon cards and hindsight of like the obsession with Pokemon cards to this <laughs> yeah. day with how insane scalping was recently only just now I think calming down to where you can actually find cards. There's a little bit of Lawrence the Third in all of us. <laughs> actually, I I remember what I was about to say um. So his whole goal is capturing Lugia, right? Yeah. Pokemon Journeys really makes it seem easier than this. Like, they just see a Lugia episode one and just, like, chase it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't sound hard to capture Lugia. I think it all just comes down to Lawrence had an ambitious goal, but honestly, he was working towards a very counterproductive goal, as in... Yeah, he probably just mistranslated the text and thought Lugia was the Beast of the Sea, and so set his whole plot around capturing the Beast of the Sea. But no, the Beast of the Sea is just a really crazy wind current, or water current. Stupid trust fund, baby. So the OST, um, once again, Lugia's song is incredible. It still holds up incredibly. Beautiful, beautiful song. But the entire OST as a whole, I think movie one was better. Movie 1, I feel like, had more recognizable songs. And movie 2 was just like, 
it fit the scene, but I don't remember what I listened to. The main thing that this movie has going for it is really Lugia's theme, and that's about it, really, as far as the music goes. Weird Al's amazing, but even the movie just kind of, like, slaps it in the middle to where most people would either stop watching the movie at that point. Yeah, that's where everyone walked out of the credits already in the theater. Uh, but yeah, movie one, just like in terms of the general score too, just better overall. Like I remember Mewtwo's theme and like Dragonite uh, takes flight and all that way better than I remember anything in this movie besides Lugia's song. Yeah, definitely. And also Team Rocket in this movie uh, actually contributed. Movie one, they were just there. Movie two, they actually had a role to play. I do. And I'm proud of them. I do feel like a lot of the movies really struggle with what to do with Team Rocket half the time. Because like, you can't make them the antagonist. I think this is one of the first one. Well, this is one of the first ones where maybe put them more towards a hero- heroic end of the movie. Because otherwise yeah. they tend to just kind of exist in the background to either team up with the villain and just exist there. Or just kind of be there for slapstick comedy. Yeah, Reluctant Hero definitely fits him better in the movie. But I can see why they don't always do it, too. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like it would be better to just not have Team Rocket. Um, The one movie, I think, I think it's the one movie they don't appear in, besides the, like, weird spinoff Power of Us and stuff, is the um the Keldia movie, the Kirim one. Because at that point in black and white, they're doing, like, their more serious stuff, and they felt like, I guess, it didn't fit in the movie very well. I will say I do appreciate how they handle Team Rocket nowadays, where they're less the villain of every single episode and just kind of mm-hmm. exist more or less. They can have more calmer moments because really that's a better way to use Team Rocket. But at the same time, I guess they really are just the villain of the week. Yeah, Generation 4. They oddly don't figure that out in Generation 3. It's really Generation 4 they kind of remember like, Guys, we have other teams we can use. And then five especially, they kind of cling to that. But So anyway, I would like to uh, end this by pulling up some reviews I saw for this movie so we can get angry at them. Oh boy. That is one kind of thing that's always interesting about watching a movie that you watched as a kid. Most of the times, adults have a completely different interpretation of a movie. A lot of movies, especially mm-hmm. aimed towards kids, get a lot of flack. And just really harsh criticisms when they're usually targeted in a very, very weird angle. And it's like, if you look at audience scores, they're going to be significantly higher than critic scores. Because this is made for the audience. These are movies made for an audience and not film goers. If that makes sense. Yeah. That they knew who they wanted in the theater and it was fans of Pokemon. There's a really weird obsession with all reviewers have to... Every movie has to be high art when in actuality they really don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird obsession with just film criticism and ha- having to look really professional. Like, ooh, I watched the new Pokemon movie. It was <laughs> not at all what it should have been. But like, it's the new Pokemon movie. You gotta kind of judge it for what it is rather than what it isn't. So... On Rotten Tomatoes, some reviews uh, ranging in different dates and stuff. Some of them around when the movie came out, some not so much. I'm going to mainly read the negative ones, because the positive ones are kind of what we've been saying now, where we're 
fans of it and we just enjoy from a nostalgia perspective and it's just you know silly pokemon fun you go into it expecting that and you get that but the negative ones are where the people went into it um not really knowing what to talk about so uh one guy i love this quote from him it's 2019 is when he said this although the animation is crisp the story is too apocalyptic to appreciate and i don't know what he means by that i don't yeah what (laughs) does he just you can just say you don't like stories about the apocalypse and it also didn't like cause the apocalypse it was just a threat it was a looming threat it wasn't like it's weird the apocalypse the beast of the sea is just this looming MacGuffin. it doesn't actually like impact the story itself too much it's just a motivation to do stuff the only thing that really kind of points out there's an actual threat is the the scene with delia and oak at the beginning after that it just the weather kind of stays the same it's just snow after that yeah yeah it just kind of it looks menacingly but it's not actually threatening really the main threat really is just the birds kind of going around zapping everything uh you know of course a lot of the negative reviews are like ah it's just another toy seller and then i mean that's kind of true to a degree but they're not I, I, they need to look past that i feel cuz there there's effort put into i what especially gets me salty there's a lot of these that talk about how the animation's bad i'm like the cgi sure looks kind of crusty but the the hand painted backgrounds and the hand drawn cells look great i love this aesthetic of like 2000s anime movie where it has this graininess to it but it's still all like kind of handmade and a lot of details put into it just, I don't the animation critique gets me a little bit salty like sure it might not be your style but you have to admit it looks nice uh also this this other reviewer that says Pikachu has very little to do with the plot so diehard fans might be disappointed <laughs> this is clearly a man who's never watched Pokemon because he would know that Pikachu actually holds very little relevance to the series I mean Pikachu has the most important role in this movie, as in he literally forces Ash to actually get out and actually do the plot, rather than wait until tomorrow, like everyone else is saying. Yeah, but like, if you actually watch the Pokemon anime, think about all the episodes I've talked about up until now, and how many times is Pikachu only mentioned when they're stolen by Team Rocket? The <laughs> Pikachu is just a MacGuffin most of the time. I don't know why he thinks diehard fans are upset that Pikachu doesn't do much in terms of the plot because Pikachu never does anything in terms of the plot. Uh, And also, he continues to say, On the other hand, I dare say diehard fans could not possibly be discriminating enough to notice since most of them are still in diapers. And cool, go ahead, talk down to people who enjoy the series. Great. Thanks, dude. You know you're fun at parties when you uh, say animation's only for babies, right? There's a weird stigma even to this day where for some reason people just really think that animation is exclusively for kids and i don't get it you saw the uh the disney ceo's recent quote right yeah where he's like yeah animation is just for kids that's what disney's all about and uh people were like reverse quoting with walt disney himself saying if you appeal only to kids it's a death sentence you might as well not make animation it's so weird just how we animation just has this stigma that it will just never go away despite how many times we get movies that are animated and tell like very adult themes that are also just relate to kids as well 
I, I think that's why a lot of people now, especially, are turning to anime. And, like, I'm not saying... Like, Pokemon 2000 obviously aimed more at kids. Like, I'm not saying it's not. But it's not, like, animation as a whole just can be dismissed. And that's why a lot of people are turning to anime. Because in America, the, like, we're producing a lot of stuff that is for kids. Because that's what all the executives are okay with. And all the stuff that isn't just for kids gets canned as soon as it's made. But then you go to anime, and it's like you have Death Note. You have uh, just, like, really dark stories of other ones that I can't think of off the top of my head. And you get stuff that, like, doesn't talk down to you. There's also just a lot of animated movies. Uh, specifically, the most common one known is just everything Studio Ghibli has produced. Mm -hmm. Though another example would be... I'm going to butcher his name. Uh... Mamoru Hosada, the director of movies like Summer Wars, mm -hmm. The Boy and the Beast, Bell. Yeah, recently. stuff like Your Name, too, also in there. Yeah, where it's just these movies that are just visually amazing and kind of just try to say more than just, oh, funny kid movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just sad how much these people talk down to it. And once again, you go to audience scores, like... People who went, like, even at the time, like, in the 2000s, I'm looking at some of these IMDb reviews, people are rating it pretty highly, and they're all like, yeah, I love Pokemon. I loved, I watch Pokemon all the time. And some of them are like, yeah, it might not be as good as the first movie, or there's some flaws here that lower the rating, but they're all like, it's still Pokemon. I still like it. Th that's who this movie was made for, and I feel like you can't critique it without going into it knowing that. You say that, but then there's some reviews from parents from way back when that just really hated the movie. Yeah. Uh, for instance, there's this one right here of someone complaining about the movie having three short movies before it actually begins. And that the the colors or the sound or even the story would be better than the TV, but saying it really wasn't worth it. <laughs> uh yeah, I gotta love the shorts at the beginning. Maybe one day I'll just, like, cover all of the shorts. It's kind of hard to tack them onto the movie. I will say I do appreciate how there's always just this little Pikachu shorts included with every movie. Mm -hmm. I think it it adds a really nice charm to them. Yeah. Do they still do those? I'm not sure if they still do them with the most recent ones. But just all, all the Pokemon movies that I can think of include one. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little short story. I think... These are more targeted towards even younger audiences. So, like, kids who don't really know what Pokemon is like, would just kind of enjoy watching, you know, the Pokemon goof around. Yeah. It's, like, completely without dialogue, too. Yeah. I feel like those ones are more just, like, here's for the very young audience, and then here's the actual movie in case the younger audience kind of finds the actual movie a bit much. Yeah, it's, like... I'm not saying, to finish this, I'm not saying people can't dislike the movie. But it's just, if you're going to go out and critique it and say it's the worst thing you ever saw in your entire history because you don't know what's going on or you don't know the characters or you don't like animation, it's, you have to understand who the movie was made for and understand that it was not made for you to a degree. It's very hard to put into words without sounding pretentious or overly angry at nothing, but... I don't know. That, that's, that's the vibe I get. It's a really, really good movie. It's a good movie. It's I like just, it. It does its own thing. There's better Pokemon movies, but this one is just really solid overall. And this one holds a special place in my nostalgia heart. I, I, I very much enjoy other Pokemon movies, too. 
like Gen 3, like you said, has some good ones, but this one is my favorite because there's a combination of the animation style I like, um, the nostalgia part of it, and just it's generally pretty okay. Pretty decent. Yeah. Lugia's song is still great. So anyway, I think it's a good time to put an end to this because we've been recording for almost two hours. It's probably going to be trimmed down to much less, but <laughs> would you like to give any plugs? Uh, I'm just random dude just came to join in on this podcast because yeah this is like i said this is kind of one of my first and still one of the only movies i actually own to this day but if you guys want to well not really hear more from me but see me draw you can always check me out on joltink1 on twitter where i do a lot of pokemon related things Mm-hmm. and you guys should go follow him he's a good artist do it. Everyone swarm his Twitter. Give him more followers. And uh, on my end, I'm going to say once again, to tell your friends and family to watch because it's a fun time. And now I can say I had a guest it on. We did it. High five. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Everyone listening, have a great morning, day, evening, outside of space time, whatever is going on there. Alex, finish it up for me. But. <laughs> Just have a good one. Bye. Oh, have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>